On today's show, our all-gay panel reviews milk and discusses gay villages, which is a topic plucked from the themes of the movie. What up, what up, listeners? Welcome to the You Better Represent podcast. Each week, we explore representation in cinema by reviewing a minority-led film with members of that underrepresented community and debate a cultural topic plucked from the movie's themes. I'm your host, Vong Show, official spokesperson for gay, super cute Asians. And I've actually realized I did not say my name any time in the past uh, two months on any of these podcasts. So uh, if you're wondering who I am, I am Vong. I guess I've been saying it on the outro, but not the intro. For some weird reason, I accidentally deleted that line. But I am Vong, um, and uh, joining me for today's show is award-winning uh, filmmaker and comedian Robert Watson. Milk does a body good, y'all. Hi, Vong. <laughs> Hi, Robert. Um, so great to have you on today. And um, this movie, um, I'm very excited to jump into it. There's so yeah, much... Around the movie, the themes, the topics, um, yeah, it was it was really fascinating. So um, this week's movie of the week, of course, is Milk, which came out in two thousand eight, and it is the story of Harvey Milk and his struggles as an American gay activist who fought for civil rights and became California's first openly gay elected official. It is based on the documentary that came out the year before called "The Times of Harvey Milk." Um, which that documentary won tons of awards as well, and it is and that and that documentary was loosely based on the biography "The Mayor of Castro Street," which was a book that came out earlier than that. Uh, the movie, um, you know, a, a, a really good point for um, for gay representation here is it was directed by Gus Van Sant, who is openly gay, yeah. and written by Dustin Lance Black, who is also openly gay. Now, um, less openly gay are the actors. Um, so we've got Sean Penn as Harvey Milk, Josh Brolin as Dan White, James Franco as Scott Smith, Alison Pill as Anne Cronenberg, and Victor Garber, who actually is gay, um, ah. plays uh, Mayor <laughs> Moscone. So we got one. We, we, got, go. we got one gay actor. Um, so uh, I'll throw it over to, to you, Robert. What was your experience um, watching Milk and what resonated for you the most with this movie? Well, this, I mean, first of all, what an amazing uh, dramatization of what essentially is an amazing civics lesson for mm -hmm. everyone. Uh, and if you want to take a, a, a good look at what uh, helped start civil rights for gay people in America and perhaps around the world, I think this is a movie that you need to watch uh, and definitely the, the documentary as well uh, if you want a more... Um, uh, you know, bi biographical, uh, you know, documentary style. Uh, but I, I, I really like this film, first of all. Like, it's just, it's, it's, it's uh, an easy film to like because you really want to cheer for uh, Harvey Milk in, in this uh, yeah. in this movie. Even though, like, and then knowing, of course, the history, like, because I, I was one of those gays when I came out, I was like, what's the history of being gay? What, what has happened before me? And, you know, so I've, I've known about... Harvey Milk, but this movie really hit home yeah. because it gives that personal and intimate uh, knowledge about him. You know, having uh, Cleve Jones as one of the um, consultants, major consultants on the film, of course, yeah. Cleve Jones played by Emile Hirsch 
in the film. Uh, uh, he was there for, for the whole thing, for the filming, and even hearing things like that people who experienced, uh, you know, this time, how they all came out as extras for free for this movie was something that I found oh. fascinating. I know I'm not talking about the actual movie itself right now, but yeah. like the things around it. And yeah. just reading that, it was quite... Uh, a surreal experience for a lot of people because, uh, for one thing, they recreated uh, Castro Camera in the mm. actual spot where Castro Camera was. This was Harvey Milk's camera yeah. shop where all of the the these you know political ideas and um, activism sort of had their base, uh, and they re they rebuilt it in the actual spot. So I was you know reading about how people when it was filming were walking by and having really yeah. emotional responses to seeing that there because it's such an iconic. Yeah. Uh, place for for people who are watching you know the the gay rights movement um but i should talk about the movie a little bit more i think uh you know uh the intimacy of the scenes between uh two straight actors you know sean penn as harvey and uh of course james franco playing uh scott smith were one of the things that really humanized him and Mm. uh and just amazing as a story. Like this, this story starts when Harvey Milk is forty. Like he's had a whole life already, yeah. and this this is like spanning eight years of his life until his un, unfortunate assassination. Um, and it's just amazing to to know that he he did so much in eight years, and he was he was in the closet before that. Moved to San Francisco, yeah. changed his life. Um, I yeah I like I'm in awe of, of the story and the way it's told. I think Lustin just eh, Dustin Lance Black. That's hard to say. Um, <laughs> Uh, I mean, he did a, a magnificent job, and uh, gosh, I mean, like, I want to know what you think. I want to know what you have to say. <laughs> yeah, I would say as a movie, it was it was very enjoyable. I I, I saw it when it first came out. I think a, a, yeah, me too. a large portion of the gay community had seen it when it came out, and I I watched the documentary back then as well. This time, I only watched the movie. I didn't go back and watch the documentary, but mm-hmm. um, the movie it still holds up. It's very enjoyable. I think Sean Penn puts in a really great performance. I know we've talked about you know straight actors playing gay characters before, and you know Sean Penn doesn't come without his own like controversies oh as an as an actor. Um, no kidding. Any fans of Madonna are not huge <laughs> Sean Penn fans. So obviously choosing him for a gay movie where there's a huge gay audience that likes Madonna, obviously Sean Penn needs to be married to Madonna, um, is was an interesting choice. But for him, I feel like he really gave the role like the like the love, care, and nurturing it deserved as a character. Like it didn't feel like it was Sean Penn. It felt like he was embodying um, his interpretation of Harvey Milk. Yeah, um, it really did. And I really appreciated that. So you know, if you're gonna do that, fine. Cast a street actor if they're gonna like really, really go in it. So Sean Penn, even though I have a bias against him, I was like, you know what? You, you did a really good job. Um, and because it was, it, it's tough with like a biopic because, you know, especially the way this is structured, it kind of jumps in and out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's not always like, you know, that perfect three act structure, that perfect, you know, character arc, because you're just reliving disparate moments. So you really, really have to come in and out of those scenes based mainly on the lead actor and his performance. And so he kept me really engaged. Um, I would say, you know, it's, in terms of representation, I think it was 
great that you you know as robert said not only did they recreate um caster camera but they filmed the majority of the um of the film on castro street yes you know? that's true which you know obviously also helps the local economy and just adds that extra air of authenticity mm-hmm. now um oh you know what i'll hold off on the negatives just for now i'll, I'll say that the, the other positive thing is i was i was shocked to find out you know because i'm always big on like narrative framing right like my my favorite novel ever is mary shelley's frankenstein just because the way the narrative frame anyway if, if you read that it's just such a unique narrative frame and so this one i was like you know, with biopics, it's always interesting. We've actually done quite quite a few biopics lately yes, we um, on this podcast. And every single one, you know, from Rocket Man to Bohemian Rhapsody have taken really different ways to jump in and out of different moments in um, in these characters' lives. And with Milk, I thought, you know, it was fascinating, you know, opening the movie with, you know, that pre-recorded taping of what Harvey Milk recorded. Um mm-hmm. You know, and as a viewer, because I had watched the movie before the documentary, I just thought it was, you know, like a Hollywood narrative frame, you know, like you've got to frame the movie somehow. So then to find out that those tapes were real and you can hear the entire tape in the documentary, I thought that was really fascinating that they sort of took that real life um, audio recording. And obviously in, in, in this movie, they they re-recorded it as opposed to like taking the real audio um, most of the time. Um, I, I thought that was fascinating. I also thought it was really fascinating that they like interspersed like real life footage in like yeah, the it, Hollywood movie. It became movie. almost indiscernible between the two. Yeah, so it's like you're seeing Sean Penn as Harvey Milk, but then you're seeing like archival footage of Harvey Milk as Harvey Milk. And I don't think I've ever seen that before. Like that's a really unique way of telling um, a, a, a biopic. Um, yeah, they really took a lot of care. Now the negative, and this might be, I promise everybody this isn't just recency bias because I know people don't like him like right now because of the Me Too movement, but I have not liked James Franco for a long time, um, way before the Me Too movement. I just feel like this is an example where casting a straight guy goes wrong. (laughs) Just like, why? Why? He's... He's just playing James Franco with a mustache. Like, that's literally, I was like, there's no, I don't know who the real life person is he's based on, if it is even a real life person. But I didn't, so be- interesting that you I didn't believe that. him as a gay person at all. I was like, this is James Franco with a mustache, and he just needs to get out of my gay movie right now. Ah. Um, yeah, the the other character that really kind of upset me was um, was Diego Luna as Jack Lira, and you know I just think because we've we've seen a lot of these you know um, these gay movies lately, and you know and specifically gay as opposed to LGBTQ, where it's like specifically the lead character is a gay man, like mm-hmm. where there's always this side character where it's like this temptuous gay person that like leads them down the wrong road like this Diego Luna character has been in like every like I just also watched um the the Netflix series um Halston and you know Bohemian Rhapsody had the same character all of them like there's always like this like 
gay entrapment temptuous character that leads them astray and that especially pisses me off because the real life Harvey Milk you know taking it out of the movie you know he was very much known for his advocating of like open relationships and not wanting you know like you know, just talking about loving multiple people. In this movie, they made it seem like his whole goal in life was to have, like, a one solo partner for his whole life. And that that just wasn't him. And then to put that solo partner as this temptuous person leading him in the wrong direction, when in real life he just had multiple partners and was openly, you know, flirtatious and, you know, did not want, like, that heteronormative life at all, I just feel like, I was just like, that's just, I don't know. I, I I didn't like that they toned down his, like, his open relationship ideology. And I especially didn't like them toning it down for having him locked into this monogamous relationship with a tempestuous, you know, entrapment gay guy who, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts? Well, I don't agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, <no. laughs> um, I just feel like the focus of the film uh, wasn't really meant to be on his relationships in the same way. And what I found when they were addressing his relationships, whether it was this one with uh, his one with Scott Smith, played by James Franco, or with um, oh gosh, and you just said the name too. See, this is how small his part was in it. I'm not remembering the name. Yeah, uh, his his character, Jack Lira. Jack Lira. Yes, yes. Uh, so, I mean, th- while they. they I didn't feel like the the part played by Diego Luna, Jack Lira, was very very well fleshed out necessarily. Um, but I didn't really... I wasn't getting the sense that they were being built together as a monogamous relationship. I felt this was like a... a it felt a little bit boy toy-esque, in fact, that he had like uh, this, this uh, younger Latin guy around who uh, was definitely portrayed as being not too bright, which um, I'm, I'm wondering if Jack Lyra is alive and is able to defend himself against that. But um, I, I feel because the focus was so much on the activism and how... Yeah. You know, uh, considering you know the the consultants in there who would have actually known Jack Lyra, maybe their um, maybe their interactions with him were seeing so little of him, as, and that's yeah. what they knew of him as a result. Um, so I don't think it takes away from the movie. Addressing James Franco, I you know what I've I've James Franco. I don't think he is just James Franco in this movie because if he was, I would have hated him a lot more. So, <laughs> you know, I'm not a fan either, but I thought like I was able to um, get past the fact that it was James Franco playing it because I thought, you know, I thought that the 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 character I felt like the character really cared about uh, about uh, Harvey Milk, but. It, and it's, of course, a relationship that didn't work out, and yet they were still friends. I thought that was built really well, that they were still friends, and I thought I felt the care that was there. But it is hard when you're bringing, when you have two iconic actors, or yeah. as many iconic actors that they have, and it is hard to separate the person from the character. Uh, I'm, I'm not really a fan of Sean Penn. This movie made me a fan of Sean mm-hmm. Penn because he did yeah. such a good job. Uh, but it was that kiss with uh, James Franco. He he said that that was the first time he had ever kissed a man was on oh. screen with James Franco, which I found I was like, oh okay, wow. Um, oh. You know, yeah. I thought he would have rehearsed a bit more than that. But um, <laughs> I and I do want to point out one thing about the representation, which I think is a cool script flip. I'm changing mm. changing gears a little bit here. Yeah. But Dennis O'Hare 
who plays the really homophobic uh, Senator Briggs, who's trying to pass Prop Six. The mm-hmm. the so um, Dennis O'Hare is gay, and he's playing the straightest, evilest character in oh. the entire movie. So <laughs> I was like, yeah, score one for us playing playing the straight villain, I guess. <laughs> but I, uh, so I, I think that the actors, I, I wasn't distracted the way you were by who was playing mm. it in the same way. Um, and that's just, that's just from whatever your personal experience with these actors are in the end. And like, I don't support uh, really either of their personal lives, but I'm going to yeah. get past it because this movie's too important. Yeah. It's, you know, like I, said, I didn't want to get into the negative parts because I actually do think it's a really good movie. It's really worth watching. I think it's worth watching in tandem with the documentary itself, whether you watch the documentary first or the movie first. I definitely mm-hmm. think they are meant to go as a pair. And even the filmmaker for the, um, you know, the filmmakers who made the, the film as opposed to the documentary said like, you know, it's it's best to watch both together, and they were obviously heavily influenced by the documentary. Um, so you know, I, another negative thing. Like I, said, I like this movie. I want y'all to watch it. I just got to keep it real because if it because our podcast is called "You Better Represent," and I do have to bring up a little bit of the controversy on some of the non-gay representation in the film. Um, mm-hmm. Because so in real life, and if you watch the documentary, like. The coalition that Harvey Milk built was actually quite diverse in terms of visible minorities, women, um, people with disabilities, and seniors. Like his message resonated. Um, you know, he even like so like off the top when I was um, like when I was giving the 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 movie summary or synopsis, I I, I got that from IMDb and um, I actually changed a word because they said Harvey Milk fought for gay rights, but I changed it to civil rights because actually his message was much more broad. It was for all disadvantaged people. So his coalition of supporters was extremely diverse from by race, by gender, by age, and by, um, you know, um, um, able-bodied and uh, people with disabilities. And this movie did not represent that at all. It was basically a coalition of, like, white gay men. And I will say, so they ended up throwing in, like, you know, one token lesbian and one token Asian. and Yeah, in San Francisco, too. (laughs) Yeah, I, there's I was only just, one. <laughs> I was going to say San Francisco of all places. You cannot have a gay movie in San Francisco and have one Asian who, you know, on the cast list is like the twentieth person named on the cast yeah. list. So I'm just like, come on, come on, people. Like it's just, I get it. The movie isn't totally about that, but I would have loved for them to represent and it's in such stark contrast to the documentary as well which just really showed he was a civil rights activist which obviously he wanted to represent for the gays but he was really reaching out to everybody who was disadvantaged and they really just showed this coalition as harvey milk and his like you know straight gay entourage (laughs) yeah i was like i was like i don't know y'all i don't know this is i get it with movies you have to condense but I, I still got to say it. Like I do want to say, I like this movie and I don't want to be, I think sometimes people get worried when they try and, when they try and make a film like this or say like a recent example would be um, in the Heights um, by, uh, 
by uh, Lin Manuel. Yeah. Um, Miranda and yes. it's like when you're when you're doing a film that's supposed to represent a certain community sometimes you get shit on more because you don't get it perfect um, so same with that controversy this, like, I'm not trying to make a controversy so I'm saying I'd rather people try and you know maybe miss a detail here or there that as a, a podcast called You Better Represent, I have to point yeah. out, otherwise people are going to be like, yo, why didn't you mention that he erased all the women um, and the uh, <laughs> and the Asians from the, from the narrative? But, you know, is I don't want people to not try because they think that they're, because you're held to a higher standard, that you're just not going to try at all. Um, so I don't want to shit on these filmmakers or people, because I think it's an amazing movie. Do I have to mention these things? Yes. Yeah. Do I wish they got them right? Yes. But it's a worthwhile movie, and I think they did an amazing job, and I'm glad they, they did this movie, and I want people to watch it. Um, yeah. We're, uh, we're going to have a lot of fun when we, uh, when we do the podcast about the Stonewall movie then. <laughs> we'll have to, well, this, we'll, well, let's remember this, and when we talk about Stonewall, because if you want to see whitewashing, that's, that's the one we're going to have to talk about. <laughs> uh, but I digress. I digress. <laughs> But you're right, 100% right. It needs to be called out in 2021 so that they don't keep doing this in Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, like, like represent properly. Don't just be like, hey, we tried. Look, hey, we got an Asian guy in there. We cut most of scene of his scenes, you know? Uh, so, <laughs> oh, yeah, I, no, I agree 100%. But as a, definitely as a lesson in how gay rights started, I mean, gay. a lot of gay rights were, were started by by white men because of whatever the circumstances are because you know we're, we're passable and there are different ways that you know people uh people who are straight and white might listen to a gay white man as opposed yeah. to even you know a white lesbian or some a person of color uh which makes it so interesting then that um that then when we do the retelling the important parts of of our history that you know us as yeah. as, as white gay men aren't including and saying, hey, wait a minute, it's actually our job to say, hey, there were some other people here because, you know, we've got a little bit yeah. more privilege now and it's time for us to speak up as well. So, yeah, I agree with you 100%. Like, we should do better now that we know better. Yeah, you know, and another reason why, you know, like, obviously with, 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 with you know, the history of gay rights, as, as Robert mentioned with, Stain, with Stonewall, you know, there's a lot of... You know, there's there's a lot of history there with non-white gays, um, but yeah, but you know, white gay men do play an important role, and I think one part um, too that I think I like that this movie mentioned is, you know, a lot of the money and wealth in the LGBTQ community, especially early on, was in you know, was in the pockets of uh, straight passing gay white men yeah so obviously you you, you kind of need you kind of need that help to to push the movement forward so um, well, even watch harvey uh harvey milk do that when he's like he, he arrives at san francisco a hippie and in order to get pe those those white people to support him in certain areas you know he did the haircut he got a suit and really changed his yeah. entire look because he needed to do that in order to be listened to in the first place by those people those gatekeepers and holders of power um, and, but that it's, for me, that's just a lesson as, you know, a white gay man to, if, uh, I have that privilege to use it to uplift, uh, the others in my community and in any intersectional community that is marginalized. So that sounded like a talking point that I wrote down, but like, I do mean it. <laughs> No, absolutely, absolutely. Now, um, I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll throw to you, Robert. Now, for for your final thoughts on um, on milk, would you? I feel like I have a good idea, but would you recommend this? Um, does it hold up? 
Yeah, I, well, I think it. I think it holds up uh, for people to watch this as a civics lesson, and uh, you know, actually, you know, because there's there's more emotion behind uh, dramatized retelling that you get to feel maybe yeah. in a different way than you would by watching a documentary. Um, so I do recommend it, but I think it's a really good recommendation that you watch the uh, documentary uh, side by side with it. Uh, I would I would be recommending that for you know, uh, and one thing too, we're talking about a biopic. One of the big differences between the ones we've watched is they they included music before, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Rocket Man and um, Bohemian Rhapsody talking about those those stories. There was a lot of music involved, and for. Uh, you know, there's no music to hide behind in this. It was just storytelling. And I thought it was reasonably accurate and good storytelling to then launch yeah. your interest into finding out more about what the gay and civil rights movement was in the 70s and the 60s and onward. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm in total agreement. I think, you know, outside of a few minor elements, I, I think they did a really great job. I think, um, you know, not just... You know, like the retelling of, of the story itself, the dramatization I thought was amazing. The acting was really great outside of James Franco. But um, <laughs> I think the actual structure and the way it kind of pushes biopics forward I thought was great. Using the archival footage, using the narrative frame of his of his audio tapes. I just thought those were things that I've never seen in a biopic before. And, yeah. um, you know, I think... I, I think it's like a creative choice were really, really fascinating. And I think it it helps hold the movie together combined with Sean Penn being so compelling as Harvey Milk. Um, yeah. It made me, it really kept my attention in a way that, you know, say with Bohemian Rhapsody, I was just, like when they just jumped scene to scene, I was just, I was getting lost. I had really no interest. Even though, you know, Freddie Mercury should be just as compelling of a character as, Harvey Milk, but basically as anybody in history, like he was just clearly very compelling and I was not compelled. But in this movie, they really, really, um, you know, kept my attention for the, for the whole thing um, from the direction to the acting um, and the editing. So yeah, definitely, definitely um, see it. And uh, yeah, even outside of the things I said, I just want people to know I do love this movie, but... <laughs> I have a responsibility to say those things. So yes. okay, we, <laughs> um, we will be back um, for our second segment where we, um, where we discuss a cultural topic that's plucked from the themes of the movie. And the cultural topic we're talking about this week is the importance of, um, of gay villages or LGBTQ villages and uh, what role they play in our lives. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. Judy. <laughs> 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What up, what up, listeners? Welcome back to the You Better Represent podcast. We are now in our second segment where we discuss a cultural topic plucked from the themes of this week's movie. And this week's movie was Milk, the um, biopic about uh, Harvey Milk, who was the first openly gay elected official in San Francisco. Now, you know, everybody knows San Francisco, you know, gay mecca, Mm -hmm. You know, some people would say that the Castro is the very first gay village. Who knows? I don't know. But it, it, it's certainly one of the one of the most important for sure. Um, so what I sort of wanted to, to talk about as our topic of the week is, um, is, you know, what is, you know, like what what's what is the appeal of gay villages? Like what like what like why did they spring up? And. And, 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 and what do they mean um, overall to the community? Um, and also in our lives as gay men now, like, do they, do they still have a place? And what place did they have um, when we were first coming out? Now, I just asked, like, five separate questions. So let me <laughs> rewind and, um, and uh, throw over to Robert with just one of the five questions, which is, uh, 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 um, 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 Robert, what is the importance of gay villages um, in your life? Yeah, well, I do believe, like, in a lot of cases, whether we talk about visible minorities or, in this case, sexual minorities, uh, these kind of enclaves in cities are often a result of persecution of that culture or that group of people. So I, a gay villages definitely, I think, sprung up out of the need to have a place to feel safe, uh, to have an area of the place where you live that feels safe to go about and just be yourself. Um, and I think you could say that about, you know, any sort of um, neighborhood, uh, especially in Toronto, because we are a, a city of neighborhoods, uh, yeah. that um, the, the the gay village was a place where for me, when I was, you know, came out and I was very young when, uh, pretty young when I came out, not like a teenager or anything, but um it was a place where I knew I could go and be as gay as I wanted to be, which was really awesome, um, oh. you know, and uh, easy to celebrate, you know, who we are when we're surrounded, like not just in a, in, you know, like a restaurant or a, one club where, you know, you know, everyone is, you know, a part of the community. But when you then walk outside those doors and know that you still have like a few blocks that you can say this belongs to us, you know, yeah. uh, and you, of course the downside of that being is like people all know where all the gay people are too, if they want to pick on them. So, uh, I know <laughs> that's, that's, true. that's something that, uh, having lived near Toronto's gay village, I, you know, you end up hearing about that a bit. Um, but overall I think it, it's been, it's such a positive thing. And I know that our society has grown perhaps beyond the point where they think these kind of villages for the gays are necessary, but I, I, I'm still so glad that, that an enclave like that exists. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, gay villages have played an interesting part in my life because, you know, the first two cities where I was out as, um, you know, I, I came out when I was in Winnipeg, but really that was just like my first year of being out. But then like the first really five, six years of my being out was in Calgary where there really oh isn't, a gay, there isn't a gay village. Um, and not only that, but they have the nerve to say, you know, um, that 
they're proud they don't have a gay village because I'm not speaking for the whole community. So let me let me just put that straight. I'm speaking from literal things that people have said to me. So whether you agree or disagree, I'm telling you facts of things people have actually said to me. Not saying this is what everybody thinks, but it's it's not uncommon for people to say in Calgary like, "Oh, we're proud we don't have a village because we don't need one because you can the whole city is our village. Like we can be gay oh, anywhere." God. And I'm like. No, Calgary. Like, yeah, I maybe maybe San Francisco can get away with saying that. Calgary, yeah. uh, no, 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 Calgary, no. You cannot, you, you cannot say that, Calgary. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Quite honestly, I I like to joke that Calgary is the only city I know of that has a straight pride, and that's the Calgary Stampede. Uh, <laughs> Oh, but Lord. I, I can only imagine that it, you know, for me, that doesn't make it easier to know that, oh, I can walk out and you cannot just walk anywhere in Calgary and, you know, wear your rainbows as much as you want and not expect to have an egg thrown at you, probably. But, um, and that's putting it nicely. But no. um, what did you think yeah. of Toronto then when you came here and, and saw that there was a thriving uh, gay village? Well, I was, I was, I was so excited. I was like, I, I can't even tell you because so in, in Calgary and Winnipeg, like even though there wasn't a village, there were like, you know, queer establishments or mm-hmm. places people hung out. There just wasn't like a neighborhood. It would just be like basically one or two places in the whole city. I know that sounds really sad um, if you're from a larger city like Toronto, but yeah, that's basically all you had. It, but you would hang out at like the one gay club. Um, yeah. um, but in, in Toronto, when I moved here, um, so I, I drove to Toronto and um, my ex-boyfriend was already living in Toronto. So I sort of stayed with him for, for the first few months of moving to Toronto. And um, this is probably more detail than people need. But uh, when I first got here, I drove in and it was very early in the day and he was still at work. So like literally, I just drove to the village and I just sat on a bench and just like stared at people like walking up and down the street. And I was like, all these people are gay or, you know, they're not. But in, in, I'm, I'm saying that I know literally not everybody's gay, but like in, in my brain, I was like, I was like, like all these gay people. <laughs> yeah, I could just stare at all these gay people, have these gay people stare back at me. I don't know what I was expecting. Maybe, I don't know if I thought like, people just randomly come up and talk to me probably not because if you're sitting at a bench staring creepily at people they're not going to come up and talk to you but I was just so you know I was I, I what was that? I was like 25 or 26 at the time I just sort of yeah, sat yeah. there literally so my first experience in Toronto was like parking my car and sitting in the gay village for probably at least eight hours just staring oh um as I was waiting for my for my for my ex-boyfriend to um to get off of work so I could like drop off my luggage um <laughs> and honestly I, I know in, in in Toronto like the village is has morphed a bit and there's like you know you could say there's like separate villages you know some people would say you know there, there's a lot of queer people concentrated on on queen street west or other places yeah. so it's maybe not as concentrated to like the one village but for me um and i would say for for my friendship group um which you know for me any city that that i go to um, when I know nobody, I just join every like gay sports league ever. So like I'll, ah. I'll literally be part of like six sports leagues at the same time, literally six out of the seven days. I'm like playing a different gay sport. Um, and at least for like, for like the 
gay athletes at least like the village is still the place like anytime we have a gathering like a team gathering um even if you make it like one block outside of the village like so like so there's like um so for people outside of toronto like the toronto gay villages you know, is, is, is on, is, is, is on a church street. And, you know, there's, there's two streets to the left and right. There's Young Street. And then there's, um, there's Jarvis Street. Literally, if you try and make these gays walk that one block over to Young Street or to Jarvis <laughs> Street, you get like one, like only 30% of the attendance you would get by having it on actual church street. So there is like, there is still something, at least for that, like I said, the, the LGBTQ community is so huge that I know for certain pockets of it, like Queen West is like a bigger part of their lives. But at least for the circles I'm in, like it's still a huge, huge like gathering place. And even one block away does not count for for, for some people. I, I don't know, like Robert, what, like... Did the, like how, how like what role did it play um, for you coming out in in your life now? Well, for sure. I mean, so I mean, I came out in Victoria, and it was the same. Like as you were saying about smaller centers, there's like you're lucky if there's one bar, or you know, it's always a bar <laughs> or a coffee shop or something like that. Um, but uh, and so Toronto was a big difference to see all these you know gay owned businesses and all being attended by queer uh, people or queer adjacent people. Uh, and you know, watching it thrive uh, as as much as it as it uh, does as well. And yes, there have been there have been changes over the year. But I know for for me, I mean, I've been desperate to try and just get a, a comedy show going in mm. the village uh, that's also accessible. That's one of the other other problems about Toronto is there's just so many mm. stairs everywhere in Toronto. So trying to get uh, a comedy show or any sort of show that's accessible for people in mobility devices uh, is very mm-hmm. difficult and the neighborhood's no exception for that that's one one place where if we are going to move forward that's one thing I'd like to see yeah. a little bit more of in regards to inclusion uh, uh, but yeah I mean it was important like going like you know I was seeing you know seeing drag shows you know and and you know iconic drag queens like Chris Edwards or you know more more recently Sofonda Cox um, mm-hmm uh, seeing the, these performers and just people living their best queer lives, which was not something I was seeing as much in my small center. And I think that's one of the greatest things about a gay village is that you're seeing people at their queerest and unapologetically queer. And I love that. That's that's my favorite thing about being in a yeah. gay village. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, I don't know. I, I love the Toronto, the Toronto gay village. There's obviously, you know, ups and downs, you know, like for Canadians, like living very close to like, we're five hours away from Montreal. And sometimes in Toronto, you kind of think, how is Montreal's like gay village, like five times the size of ours? Like it's, it's so huge. And ours is, you know, just kind of confined to a very, um, short distance. But, um, I, you know, I would say like even during the pandemic, it, it's played a huge role in my life because I would like walk um, up to the gay village and then turn back and come back down as like sort of my daily walk, especially early on in the pandemic. And, you know, I think even when, even when like businesses started opening up and the village had like more patio space um, than yeah. probably it's ever had in its history because of, you know, people couldn't eat inside. So the city allowed all these um you know, chairs and tables out, you know, 
you know, they blocked out like um, two of the four lanes on, on the street. It almost yeah. made it, it, w- it made it even cooler and more of like a, a gathering area. And, um, and, you know, and I know like it's, it's October now and with Halloween coming up, I think the queer village, probably my favorite night in the queer, in the, in the, um, in Toronto's um, queer village is Halloween. And I know like, it's not even that specifically of like a queer event. Cause you have like a lot of like straight people coming, but I just think it's just, I don't know. It's just such a celebration. That it's night. a great party for sure. And, you know, obviously you get, like, all types of costumes, but you also get, like, really amazing, like, queer costumes as well. Um, and I, I love that, like, the epicenter of Halloween, not just queer Halloween, but just, like, Halloween as a whole in Toronto is in the village. Um, and I, I definitely love that, you know, at certain points, parts of the year we can we can attract a broader audience now you know let's keep it real i do like that for the most part um we it's you know probably like most of the year outside of halloween it is predominantly queer um which you know i'm not straight phobic i'm just saying it's nice to have our own place um but for halloween and different social events it is nice when like everybody kind of comes into the village and i think it's it's a special place for me for sure yeah, definitely a lot of, I could, if, if I were to talk about different coming-of-age stories, uh, a lot of them would be associated with the village. So uh, mm. it obviously, it, it plays such an important role for uh, a lot a lot of people probably in our generation in, in particular who yeah. needed a place to go uh, when, you know, you're not feeling like yeah. the world around you is accepting you. So, um, yeah, I'm, I, and I, and I hope that that the the village has gone through in the last last while you know some ups and downs is in regards to the businesses there and you know yeah. people saying oh it's not cool to be in the village anymore or whatever you know like all the you know the people are that were like oh it's passe and it's like oh no it's cool again and so like yeah. i hope that through those cycles that people just realize the value of having your own space like that uh as the group that we are and also one of the things going forward is making that uh, space more accessible and welcoming to perhaps the queer people that we have not been uh, yeah. paying the attention that we should be. Um, but with anchors yeah. like the 519 Center, yeah. uh, you know, that that's such an important important space in our Toronto community. Uh, I feel like the with that there, the gay village is, is going to be around for decades to come, which I which is comforting, you know. Yeah, yeah, you know, definitely. And um you know, I I couldn't have said it, said it better myself. I I think sort of um, you know adding on a little bit to the topic just because of the movie that 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 we watched um, mm-hmm. um, this week being Milk. Um, I, I I do like that there there are a lot more um, queer queer people running for for office um, to represent. Um, our village, you know, obviously with our, our city councilor, um, Kristen Wong Tam, yes. um, you know, and um, I know we've um, we've had a, I, I think I think a second place in the federal um, in the recent uh, federal election was a gay Asian man, which I thought was amazing. Oh, yeah, um, I voted for uh, Brian, right? Yeah, yeah, Brian Chang, yeah. I believe, and um, and. Provincially, um, I believe the liberal candidate is also a gay, um, a gay man whom I know from volleyball, um, from gay volleyball. Mm-hmm. So he is super legit. Um, so and definitely. In my, uh, and in my writing, uh, it's a, a bisexual woman who is is our yeah. uh, MPP. So there we go. Represent. 
Yeah, I. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I love that that we're seeing this happen, and uh, you know, Harvey Milk was a pioneer in that space, and it, it's it's yeah. good having having these choices. Um, okay, well, that uh, brings us to an end of this uh, this uh, this fascinating episode. I want to thank all our listeners, um, and also, of course, I want to thank my co-host Robert Watson for coming on. We will be back with another. Um, with another episode every week, obviously. If you're if you're subscribed to this, you will hopefully be back with us next week. And um, I'm your host, Bong Show, and that's what's up. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar.